Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. I don't know how often you think about this, but uh, for whatever reason, it crosses my mind often. Timing. The timing of things. Maybe it's because my teenager just started driving. Maybe that's what it is. And you start to think weird things at that point. Like, okay, I'm leaving. I'm going by myself. And it's like, timing. Like, timing all of a sudden, like, seems like it matters more for some reason. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe because um, in uh, September, I turned 42, and I'm thinking, Assuming this is the halfway mark, which was probably a long time ago, which time, timing has a lot to do with it. I think about it in terms of friendships, people that I've met. Like there was a time, and this just blows my mind. This is, let me just let you into some of my manic, my manic mindset for just a second. There was a time that I didn't know any of you, right? Like that's crazy to me. There was a time in my life that I did not know any of you. And I think about that now, and I think, well, what if you were somewhere else? Like, the, these are the people that I know. Like, these are the people that I know. Like, that's crazy. The timing of things. How God puts other people in our lives. How certain events show up in our life at certain times. And how it's a good thing they did. And even those moments that you, you tend to, like, look back on with, maybe regret or pain or loss, once there's a little, bit of, a little bit of space on it, a little bit of, you can kind of get the anxiety down, you can get some clarity and think about it. Even those things seem to have been almost perfect. Think about a season in my family's life to where things begin to kind of crumble and it's like it was like several things at once. They just stacked and stacked and stacked. And we're just, we're helpless. We're stuck. We can do nothing to fix the situation. We are at the mercy of only God. And it was clear. Either God fixes this or we're doomed. Yet, here we are. God's timing is crazy to me. Timing matters in the book of Daniel. I don't know if you remember what we talked about last week, Daniel chapter 5. There's this man named Belshazzar who comes to power. And he's not really the real king. He's kind of what they call the co-regent. He gets to kind of run daddy's kingdom while daddy's off living in an oasis somewhere in the desert. So Belshazzar's got daddy's money, got daddy's throne, daddy's crown, sporting it around, trying to stretch his little bitty feet to the ends of daddy's great big boots. And finally, he's like, let's throw a party. And he throws this horrendous, blasphemous party. They go and they get a bunch of temples, I mean a bunch of uh, articles from the from the holy temple of Jerusalem, and they bring them in, and they defile them. They're drinking wine out of them. 
Is this God's goblet? Yeah, that's God's goblet. Think I'm going to pour a shot to the gods of gold, iron and wood and silver and stone. Let's make a toast to all the other gods using this God's goblet. Cocky. And if you remember, there was a great big huge grisly hand that just shows up in the palace and begins to scrawl into the plaster on the wall. You see, Daniel, the prophet, had served King Nebuchadnezzar from the beginning. He was one of the many teenagers who were taken into captivity along with all these other Jews when Jerusalem was conquered, and they were hauled off. And ever since he got there, he had been serving kings. Belshazzar was not the first king that this guy had ever served. He had served others. Started with Nebuchadnezzar. Just to give you an idea on the line, and I love this. This is, this is beautiful. The line of thinking, the progressively downward spiral, murderous type of people that this kingly line was, this is what they said of Nebuchadnezzar. When it went from Nebuchadnezzar to Marduk to Belshazzar to Cyrus to Darius, it, what they would say was, each king was like running from a lion only to meet a bear. Does it sound a little bit like our political climate? How many times have you heard the phrase, well, it's the lesser of two evils? <laughs> Some people are like, no, he's not. It's a little bit like our system. And Daniel's been serving there for a long, long time. But that was years ago. That was years ago. Since then, Daniel has almost just faded into the background. He's an old man. He's 80 years old by the time we get to Daniel chapter 6. He's an 80-year-old man. He, get, he came to Babylon as a teenager, and he's been in captivity this whole time. Now he's 80 years old, and Belshazzar, the new young blood, walking around with this cool new walk, cool new hairstyle and daddy's crown on his head looks real cool and all of a sudden this hand scrawls into the wall something that no one else can read and everybody's terrified and finally an older lady it seems as if it might be the king's mother maybe a grandmother she comes out and she's like what's the problem what's the problem you know how those austere kind of Ladies, older, classy, like they've seen it all. They're looking down their nose like, what are you, you know, what, is your, what are you terrified for? What are you acting like a baby for? He said, there's a hand and it wrote on the wall a message that I don't know what it means. And she's like, you need to suck it up. Suck it up. Stop Look, You're the king. There's a guy in the kingdom, used to be a guy years ago. I don't even know if he's still around, a guy named Daniel. He interprets dreams. He can do Sudoku. He can do Rubik's Cubes. This guy's brilliant. Interpret dreams? He knows a lot of stuff. Like, really? He's still here? I think he's still here. They call for Daniel. But he doesn't look like he used to look. He used to be young, chiseled, handsome. Now he comes in. Yeah? I haven't been called to the royal court in 
a long, long time. The king's a little nervous, but he's trying to put on like he's got it together. Um, yeah, can you, uh, do you know how to read, read, uh, read stuff? We all know how to read stuff. Yeah, do you know how to read, like, read plaster, like the, the so, okay, there's a hand, and it wrote on the wall. He says, I see it. What's it say? He said, I'll tell you what it says. He says, if you can tell me what it says, I'll put a gold chain around your neck and a purple robe on your back, and I'll make you the third most powerful man in all the kingdom. Daniel's an old man. You know what I love about old men? I just love about them is that you can't impress them. You can't. You can tell them stuff. You can show them stuff. But you know what? They've seen everything. They've seen everything. Here's this new young king. I can make you third most powerful man in all of Babylon. Daniel's like, I have been the second and first most powerful man in Babylon multiple times throughout all the other reigns of all the other kings. They're the ones who listen to me. You can keep your little prizes and all your little machine grabber uh, toys uh, and all. I'm not interested. Thank you. But I'll still tell you what it says. What it says is God has numbered your days. You've been placed on scales and found to be a little light in the loafers. It also says, your kingdom has been divided up between the Medes and the Persians. Anything else I can help you with? The king jumps up immediately and throws a chain over his neck, a purple robe around him, and makes him third most powerful ruler in all of Babylon. And you think to yourself, I thought Daniel said no. The king felt so... <sighs> he just felt it necessary to do it. And can you imagine Daniel standing there thinking to himself, I'm 80 years old. You know what I don't want to do? Is be the handmaid to the queen. I mean the king. Like this is what I want? 80 years old. Can I go back to my room now, please? It's beautiful. Because then chapter 5 ends and it says, and Belshazzar was killed that night. Now who's in charge? Timing. It's brilliant. Belshazzar is killed that night. The new administration moves in and they say, so who's in charge around here? It's our team. Our team is in charge now. We haven't been in charge for a long time. But then, upon the, the eve of Belshazzar losing his life, God says, I think we better move some of our guys to the front lines. Daniel, I'm going to need you to get up here. Seriously, I've got to come out of retirement? Come on, Sadukos are easy. And so he comes in and then look. Daniel is in charge. So this new guy who comes in, his name's Darius, Scripture says in chapter 6, so not to suffer loss in the kingdom, he went looking for satraps. Found 120 different people who could go and govern all of Babylon and all these little different provinces there. And then he found three administrators who would be over the top of these 120. 
Daniel is one of the three. It's just beautiful, the timing of it. Here's what else it reminds me of. If you need to write something down, write this down. Even in captivity, God blesses and God protects. Even in captivity, God blesses and God protects. Even in punishment, even in discipline, God blesses and God protects. Did you need to know that? I needed to know that. Can I tell you how? I can't tell you how many times I've been in that place to where I know I've screwed something up and I thought, this is not going to go. God should turn his back on me. I would. Wouldn't you? You crossed the line. You went too far. You messed it up. And if you were God and you were seeing you screw up all that you screw up, wouldn't you turn your back on you? I would. And God says, oh, no, 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 no. You think you're going to get off that easy? Really? Even in captivity, even in God's punishment, he provides blessing and protection. <clears throat> Verse 3 now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Of course he did. What else would happen? This is exactly what God wants to happen. At this time, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Brilliant. Brilliant. The word is Yatir Ruach. Yatir Ruach. He was of excellent spirit. I don't know if you know the name Jonathan Kahn, but he's a writer, and he tells a story about an old man, an old rabbi type of guy who takes another young guy into the desert, and they're walking in the desert, and as they take off walking, the wind is blowing straight into their face, and I don't know if you were, I don't know where you were when that last big gust of wind kind of kicked up here a week and a half or so ago, when it just went crazy. We were standing outside, me and my youngest. She was standing in the driveway collecting the little pillows off the, off the porch swing as they're just tumbling. And she's in the driveway, and it's kicking up all this dust. And she looks at me, she says, Ooh, it hurts. Ooh, it hurts. Jonathan Kahn tells the story of this old man saying, Come on, let's walk. And they begin to walk into the wind. And he says, Do you enjoy walking in the wind? And he says, No, I don't enjoy walking into the wind. He said, Do you find it difficult? He says, I find it very difficult. He said, the wind is called Ruach. He says, okay, fine. He said, it's the word for spirit. And the old man says to him, we're going to walk a mile. And they walk a mile. And they get to the mile, and he turns around, and he says, now let's walk home. And they turn around, and they walk the other direction. And he says, now how do you like walking in the wind? 
And he said, this is so much easier. And he said, so it is with those of us who walk in step with the Spirit. I don't know if you've ever noticed or not, but when you try to walk against the will of God, there's a little bit of debris. It's a little bit of pushback, a little bit of drag. You begin to find yourself trudging more and more and more, exerting energy in all kinds of ways that begin to wear you out, tire you out. But if you turn around and you walk in step with the Spirit, things become easier. They always become easier. Daniel was distinguished because he had excellent spirit, because he walked in the Spirit. Look at this next verse. The administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O uh, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you, O king, should be thrown into a lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree into writing. You want to know about a king-sized mistake? Let me tell you about a king-sized mistake. Here's one. Whatever informs your decisions will define your direction. Listen again. Whatever informs your decisions will define your direction. What informs your decisions? What helps you make your decisions? Your feelings? Those are helpful, aren't they? Well, I don't feel like going to work, so I don't think I will. Well, guess what? You're going to experience a brand new world. It goes like this. You're fired. That's the way it works. I don't feel like doing this, so I'm not going to do it. What else informs your decisions? Is it the people you spend time with? Do they inform your decisions for you? Is it Facebook? Oh, it's so helpful. Facebook is so helpful, isn't it? When you just need your, when you just need your life just lifted a little bit, your soul just lifted, you open up Facebook and scroll, and you know what? I promise you'll find somebody whose life sucks worse than yours. It's like, oh, I feel so much better since your life sucks so much worse than mine. Perfect. It's such a positive environment. What else informs your decisions? History? Your own personal history? The history of those around you? They'll never change. Oh, they'll never change. They'll never change. They'll never change. Why in the world should I do the right thing when they are never going to change? What informs your decisions? Because whatever informs your decisions, here's what's going to happen. It will define your direction. It will define your direction. Because if you look down the line and you say, well, they're never going to change. This circumstance is never going to be different. This is always going to be the way this is. Then here's your direction. I'm not putting in any more effort. And you go the other way. But what if you have a direction? What if you have 
a hope that informs your decision? What if you have faith that informs your decision? What if you have scripture and prayer and community and church and other brothers and sisters in Christ who stand around you and cheer you on? What if they inform your decision? What will be your direction? You know what the king size mistake is here? He didn't think for himself. He moved into town, took over the whole place, and he said, now who's in charge here? They said, well, um, Daniel's in charge, and there's a couple of other guys here that have really served and done well. And it's like, okay. And then they say, you know, you ought to make an edict that makes you number one in the whole wide world. Nobody can worship any other god than you. Let me tell you something real quick. There's two ways in the world. I heard this just this last week. The devil's playbook is thin and dog-eared. The devil's playbook is thin and dog-eared. You want to know two of the schemes? Here's two of the schemes right here. We will either attack you at your weakness or we will appeal to your power. When the devil shows up in your life, he will either attack your weakness or he will appeal to your power. Jared, you would never do that, would you? Can you believe that guy did? You would never do that. You are such a better person than that guy. Jared, you are such a good guy. Before too long, if Jared sits around and listens to the devil say that stuff, Jared starts buying in. Like, Jared will believe it. That's true, right, devil? Like, that's a conversation you want to be caught in, right? I don't know. The devil's talking sense today. I don't know. He's telling me, like, maybe I've got this. Maybe I'm going to handle it. Maybe I'm on top of the world. I'd never be like that guy. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the way that goes. He will always attack our weakness or he will appeal to our power. Here's what happens to Darius. They, they appeal to his power. You know what, Darius? Here's what we think should happen. Don't let anybody else pray to anybody but you because you are such a mighty king. <laughs> like, do you even know this guy? He's new. Give him got past the 30-day test period on whether we like him or not. They appeal to his power, and Darius bites, sinks the hook in deep. Here's what they know. If we're going to get Daniel on any charges whatsoever, they're going to have to be charges that have to do with Daniel's faithfulness. Is that the truth about you as well? If you're going to get hung up, is it going to have something to do with you and God? Or is it going to have something to do with you and something else? Is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? Is there enough evidence to convict you of being somebody who is a follower of Jesus Christ? Is there enough evidence? For Daniel, there was. To them, here's what we know about Daniel. Daniel goes up to his room that's upstairs. He's got a room that faces Jerusalem. His window is open, and it faces Jerusalem, his hometown. And he's been praying like that since he was a teenager. And now he's 80 years old, and he does it three times a day, and he does it all the time. If we're going to get him on anything, we're going to we're gonna have to change the laws to get him, because he's that good. And Darius signs it. Yeah, that's a good plan. I am pretty great, aren't I? I mean, I'm basically a god, aren't I? Great news. Listen to this. Now Daniel learned that the decree had been published, and he went home 
to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about the royal decree. What I love about this verse is it does not encapsulate Christianity in 2019 here. Let me tell you what would happen in 2019 here if there was a law or decree that came down that said, you can no longer worship your God. Anybody who follows Jesus from this point forward is going to be thrown into a lion's den. You want to know what would immediately happen? Petitions. Petitions and picket signs. Facebook pages. There would be, march, there would be a march in D.C. We would organize all this stuff. There would be militants who would come out of the woodwork, right? All you gun guys who are packing right now, right? Be like, go ahead, try to throw me in a lion's den. See if this don't go off like you don't think. All right, calm down. That's exactly what would happen, right? Protest, rebellion, war. Protest, rebellion, war. That's the way it's going to go down if it happens here. Should it? Should it? Is that Daniel's response? Daniel's response is this. I'm probably just going to keep doing what I've always been doing probably just going to keep doing what I've been doing. What got me to this point? Protest, rebellion, and war? No. Praying three times daily toward Jerusalem got me here. Now I'm in a pickle. See what I'm going to do? Get your ammo? <laughs> no. No. I'm going to go pray like I always do. I'm going to go pray like I always do. Godly men and women do not respond to injustices against themselves with protest, rebellion, and war. Something hit me this last week, and I, I, I didn't like this. I didn't like this one single bit. And I will, at some point, I'll tell you where this came from. Um, my wife and I were in an argument. I mean, I'll tell you the more details at some other point. I've got to ask her for permission first. <laughs> I don't know how much I should share of that. I would freely share it, but she they shut me down. The responsibility of a Christian is to create justice and fight injustice for other people. Do you know where the twist in it is? when we begin to fight the injustices that happen against ourselves. See, our responsibility is to go out and to stop injustice, not to put ourselves out there and say, I'm being treated unfairly. Our job is to say, you are being treated unfairly. Because the minute it becomes personal about me, it's wrong. Am I supposed to look out after my own needs or the needs of others? The needs of others. The minute I begin to look out after my own needs, 
Do you know what happens? Division. Because now you want your needs met, and I want my needs met. To give you a little window into where Kate and I are coming from. I've been done wrong. No, I've been done wrong. This whole conversation's wrong. The right conversation is, I did you wrong. I did you wrong. I'm sorry. And whatever happens on the other side of that isn't on me. That's on God. God covers our needs. But we're responsible to each other. I go out and I look for the injustices in the world and I fix them. Other people who are being treated unfairly, I count on God to take over the ones where I'm being treated unfairly. I can't go to bat for myself. I'm a little biased. I'm going to take a little bit more than I should. I'm going to fight a little harder. I'm going to get in an extra jab. The whistle blows. The bell dings. The referee says, stop hitting. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to catch you with another one right on the back end of it. Why? Because I'm a cheater. I'm a liar. I have to fight the injustices that are out in the world, not the ones that I think are happening to me. Godly men and women, we go out and do not respond to injustices against us with protest, rebellion, and war. Here's what we do. We keep going on about our business. We just keep going on about our business. Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg don't need to know about what's going on in my life. We just don't. I don't have to tell Twitter, Instagram. I don't have to tell them. I've been done wrong. All I need to do is go to the Lord and say, I'm so thankful for everything you've done to me. Did you see this part in Daniel? There's a new decree. There's a new law out. You can't worship God anymore. Anybody caught praying for the next 30 days to anybody other than Darius is getting thrown in a lion's den. And Daniel goes to his room and prays. That's good. That's good. And there's plenty to preach there. But here's the, here's the hard part. And he went and thanked God. Thanked him? Dear God, thank you so much. You know, I've been thinking to myself lately how my faith is just kind of threadbare. I really wanted to step it up a notch. This whole lion's den thing has really got me on track with you. Thank you, Lord. What? Really? Thank you for the threat of this. I don't know what you're up to, but you're obviously up to something. There should be a development thing that happens inside of the life of a Christian, people who follow Jesus. There should be a development thing that happens to where we begin to look at situations who come into, that come into our life as, okay, God's got to have to do something with us or this is really going to hurt. Right? Like here it comes down the line. This is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. The relationship's not good. The job's not going good. Finances aren't good. My mental health is not good. This is going to be massive amounts of breakdown here pretty quick. This is going to be bad. If God doesn't do something, this thing is going to smash me fast. And we wait. And we thank God for what he's doing. Daniel had got to this place to where that's what he did. It's incredible to me. Absolutely incredible. I also love that he says, and he went and he looked to Jerusalem. What should we do in our times of trial? The same thing. We should go to our room, to a private place, and we should pray, and we should tip our head to the new Jerusalem. 
to heaven. And we should pray and we should thank God for what he is doing with us and in us. Verse 12, so they went to the king and they spoke to him about the royal decree. Did you, did you not publish, uh, seems like you published a decree about, what was that? Something about nobody can pray to anybody else other than you for the next 30 days and you put it in writing as in the laws of the Medes and the Persians. Wasn't that you, Darius? Darius says, yes, of course I did. You were here. Yes, of course I did. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the reason I bring that up is because uh, we just caught Daniel praying to the God of the Jews. Daniel really liked, I mean, Darius really liked Daniel. He says that he was sad. They said to the king, verse 13, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the decree you put into writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed, and he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the laws and the Medes of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and brought Daniel in and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may the God whom you serve continually rescue you. You know what happens to people um, in, in situations like this? Uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty evident here. Darius says, it says that Darius did everything he could do to try to rescue Daniel from that situation by his own power. Do everything he could do to rescue Daniel. And then when he realized that he had run out of power, he was stuck. He was locked in to his own words and his own actions. He then turns and he says, may the God that you worship, may the God that you worship rescue you. Here's what else is beautiful about it. It's just about four days ago, Darius became a God, right? According to the new decree. But he has zero power to save Daniel from himself. And then he says, okay, maybe your God's only the, the real God. I was just playing God. Maybe your God will save you. I hope your God will save you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought, uh, brought into him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lion's? He's up all night. He can't sleep. He's only been in office for just a minute. And he's already taken some of his own people, the good ones, the ones he likes. And he got played. And he threw one of them into a lion's den. He doesn't have to get dressed in the morning. He's already dressed. 
He never got out of his clothes. He rushes down to the lion's den, and the, the, only, the only crack that has any sort of space there, he, he stands up and he yells into the... D Daniel! Has your, has your God saved you? And he waits. And then from down the cold, damp stone walls of this den... A voice bounces back, and, and I like to think of it in I like to think of it in terms as if, if Daniel was asleep. Yeah, he had slept real well, because that's the way God does things, right? The person who's in massive amounts of trouble, they somehow just, you know, it's on God. I mean, what can I do? I'm either gonna get eaten by lions or I'm not. So I may as well just go to sleep, and the king who made it all happen, he can't sleep at all. And Daniel wakes up. Oh, oh, who's, who's there? Like he lives there. Who's there? Is it, Daniel, are you, are you alive in there? Oh. Yes, 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 yes. The God that I serve has come to my rescue. He has shut the mouths of the lions. Listen to this. This is so good. Daniel answered, and I love this opening line. You know this opening line right here is the same one that everybody uses when they're trying to plot against Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and now even Darius. Here's the line. O king, live forever. When you hear that, if somebody says that to you, it's suspect, okay? Now, it'd be weird if they said it nowadays, but back then, like they should have picked up on this. Every time somebody says that, it's a bad deal. And then Daniel breaks out the line. Oh, king, live forever. Can you imagine how that would raise the hair on the back of your neck and on your arms when you hear that? From inside a lion's den? You just took the only good guy who God loves in the whole place. You threw him in a lion's den and he's still alive. What do you think he's going to do to you when he comes out? Like, you better be scared. I don't care if you're the king or not. He's got God on his side. That's so awesome. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me. And here's why. Because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, O king. What applause are you living for? What are the applause that you're living for? We all want a pat on the back. I do. I assume you do too. We all want a pat on the back. I want somebody to give us a little bit of attention. Tell us that we're doing good. We're knocking it out of the park. We look cute in our, our new blouse. We love it. But what, what applause are you living for? Daniel's? He's like, look, here's the deal. You can throw me in jail. You can throw me out of the palace. You can throw me in a lion's den. I didn't do anything wrong. And God will prove that. God will prove that. I knew a guy when I was younger who some young girls made some nasty, nasty allegations about this guy. And you know, in situations like that, there's always, there's always a pause. There's always a pause for, 
Okay. Anybody can fall. Anybody can slip. Anybody can make an offhanded remark. And they brought these allegations against this guy. And I said to him, I went to him, and, and I was probably 18. And I said, hey, are you doing okay? And he looked me in the face, and he said, Jared, I've already spoke to the Lord about this. I said, you did? And he says, yeah. He said, truth's going to come out. He said, I'm not worried one single bit. I said, you could lose your job. He said, I'm not worried one single bit. I didn't do it. The truth's going to come out. Okay. A month goes by, and things just continue to look worse and worse and worse. And then finally, out of the blue, this whole gaggle of girls who had made these terrible accusations against this guy, all of them showed up at once and began to confess the truth for no apparent reason whatsoever. It's all lies. It's all lies. We were just lying about him was all we were doing. And these young girls, their lives just fell apart. They just went all their own way and their lives fell apart. And I asked the guy about it and I said, so you're right. He said, yeah, well, absolutely. God, God told me. God told me that the truth was going to be found out. What applause are you living for? Are you living for the applause of God? The applause of heaven? Or the applause of men? <coughs> the king was overjoyed and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. And King Darius wrote to all the people, the nations of men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, my people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he's the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Last two quick points. It's through humility and perseverance that God will endear people to us. I want people to like me for what I can do, for how strong I am or how smart I am how funny I am. I want people to like me for that. That's not God's plan. God's plan is to endear people to us as we hum humbly walk through difficult circumstances. That's what he wants to do with this. Why would we assume we would get a different path than Jesus? Jesus came and carried a cross and then said to us, take up your cross daily. And then we show up and we say, so do you want to make me rich and powerful? And Jesus is like, not in the game plan. Do you want to make my life easy? Not interested. It's going to be difficult. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. But fear not, for I have overcome the world. So the first part is this. 
He will endear people to us as we go through difficult circumstances. You've seen this happen. You watch somebody go through something hard, and then all of a sudden you look at them with a different set of eyes. We have people in our community this week who are going through some very difficult things, who need a whole lot of encouragement. We need to stand by them. The second part is this. It is in our boasting of God's protection and mercy that will light a fire of faith in non-believers and fan into flame the faith of weak believers. It is in our boasting of God's protection and mercy that we will light a fire of faith in unbelievers and fan into flame the weak faith of weak believers. This is exactly what he needs from us. When people show up and say, how are you getting through what you're going through right now? Only by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God. And when we hand that praise over to God, do you know what happens? God instantly begins to glorify and praise us. He lifts us up. As far as it goes in our community, we do need to keep uh, a couple of families in our prayers. Um, and I think you know who they are. Uh, we probably need to spend some time um, this week just, just considering, considering the weight and the gravity of the situation and also the weight and the gravity of do we live in a community that is open and honest do we live in a community to where we can say, hey, are you doing okay? Are we living in a community to where we can say to one another, I'm not doing okay? Because if that's where we're living and it's not real, we're going to see more. We're going to see more. And we need to be in a place to where we can be honest about what we're, de of what we're dealing with. And when we can get honest on that level, we can get better. We can heal then. 